look at friendship this morning. Friendship uh, from Proverbs. I have a few quotes for you as we begin on friendship. Uh, John Newton says this about friendship. John Newton's a pastor in the 18th century in England. He's the author of the hymn Amazing Grace. He says this, I think to a feeling mind there is no temporal pleasure equal to the pleasure of friendship. Had a high view of friendship. C.S. Lewis, the great author, uh, said this, friendship is the greatest of worldly goods. Certainly to me it is the chief happiness of life. J.C. Ryle, 19th century English pastor, says the following, friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. The Bible has a lot to say about friendship, actually, um, and Christians throughout history have done a lot of thinking about friendship, and as we approach the book of Proverbs, we see in Proverbs it's one of the most concentrated areas in the Bible that discusses friendship. What is friendship? What is a good friend like? What is a good friend not like? What is a bad friend like? And one of the first things we have to consider is the fact that friendship doesn't originate on earth. Friendship doesn't originate uh, with man. Friendship starts in heaven, and friendship originates in God. As Christians, we believe in the God of the Bible. We believe that he's one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're three persons in one God. But them being three persons uh, within the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they have experienced perfect, pure, loving, joyful friendship for eternity. They've always been in loving communion and community with one another. Some people think that, will say and teach that God created man so that he wouldn't be lonely. He'd have somebody to fellowship with and to be with. And the Bible says nothing of the sort. It says the opposite, actually, that God in himself is sufficient and has sufficient friendship, perfect, pure, loving, and joyful friendship among himself, in himself. And, and he has had that for eternity. Friendship originates in heaven. It originates in God. But then friendship comes to earth. Friendship comes to earth. God gives man the gift of friendship. When God creates the man and the woman in Genesis 2, Adam and Eve, he creates them in loving unity and friendship with himself. God is a friend to them, and they are friends with each other. The first thing that Adam does upon Eve, his wife being created, is he sings to her as his friend and his wife. They experience the gift of friendship right away. God gives, has given, the good, sweet, gracious gift of friendship. That's Genesis 2. Friendship starts in heaven, it comes to earth, it's experienced among man, but then in Genesis 3, we know that man falls. Man sins against God, man rebels against God, man chooses to do what man wants to do and not what God wanted man to do. Man listened to the serpent instead of listening to God. As a result, the whole human race fell, and part of what fell is friendship. That as sin has distorted man, and as sin has distorted the world, and not just one part of man or one part of the world, but really sin has distorted, to some degree, every aspect of man. It has distorted our thoughts, our minds, our intellect. It has distorted our emotions. We can't really trust our emotions fully. It has distorted our bodies. We now get sick and age and die. It's distorted everything. It's also distorted everything in the world. One of the things that's been distorted is friendship. So as Christians, we're redeemed people 
right, who Jesus has come to earth and he has, he has come to rescue us. He has died. He has lived the perfect life in our place, the life that we should have lived but could never live. He's died the death in our place that we deserve to die. He's, he, he, he's eradicated the power of sin. He's paid the penalty of sin and he dies. The wages of sin is death. That's the penalty. Jesus paid it. But then he rose to newness of life and, and that's the gospel. And when we look at Jesus and his work and we believe the gospel and we repent of our sin, then we're made new, we're redeemed, and we get to walk in joyful, good, loving friendship. But we still have sinful flesh. We still have propensities to sin. The fall is still a very present reality in our world. And so when we come to the Bible and and look at friendship, we need to examine carefully what is friendship? What's a true friend? What's a true friend? What's a biblical friend? And what's a false friend? What does counterfeit friendship look like? How do we guard against that? How do we repent quickly of that? How do we change our patterns and behaviors if we're, we're, we're going that direction? So that's where we're headed this morning. I want to start by looking at false friendship. The false friend. The false friend. What is a false friend? The Bible has a lot to say, and Proverbs in particular has a lot to say about the false friend. And really what I want us to consider, uh, part of this is, is, you know, it's good to be able to identify like who, who we want to be friends with in life. We want to be able to identify certain traits in other people, but it's really easy for us just to think about other people. And so as we go through, through what we have this morning, I want us to think primarily about ourselves. Not primarily about others, but primarily about ourselves. So if we were to ask ourselves, how, how can I be a false friend? How can I be a counterfeit friend? Well, here are some of the ways to get to that goal. Right? How, to be, how do I be a false friend? Of course, that's not what any of us want. But what I want us to do is I want us to think about this for us, not just about for others. The first thing I want to consider is that the false friend is unteachable. Unteachable. Proverbs 9, 8. Solomon says this, Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Don't reprove a scoffer or he'll hate you. Prove a wise man and he'll love you. Some, some people have a, this view of friendship, like that the substance of friendship or the basis and root and foundation of friendship is having a good time together. It's having a real good time. You know, we, do, we, we have common interests and we go have fun and we laugh. We have a night out and it's really good. And as long as we're doing the same, the things that we both like to do on that night out, then, you know, we're, that, that's friendship. That's really the substance of it. Of course, Friends are going to have a good time together. That's part of friendship, but that's not the substance of friendship. That's not the primary thing it means to be in a friendship or to have a friend. If that's the primary view that we have a friendship or the functional view we have a friendship, we really need to rethink friendship. We need to think more biblically and more carefully about friendship. Friendship is so much more than mere fun. We need friends in our life that will cheer us on. We have a good time. They cheer us on and all that, but but they also challenge us. We need friends who cheer and challenge. We need friends who agree with us and affirm us and empathize with us, but also friends that disagree with us. We need friends friends that encourage us and also rebuke us. 
We need those types of friends. Friendship isn't just about having fun, isn't just about encouragement, it isn't just about being cheered on, it's also about being challenged, disagreed with, and rebuked at times. We need those friends, and we must be those friends. We need people in our life who speak into our life, and who sometimes speak words of disagreement and and, and challenging words and exhortation and rebuke and reproof. The problem is, is that this is really hard for us. Rebuke a scoffer and he'll hate you. You rebuke a wise man, he'll love you. Why do you think that is? What's, What's going on there? What's the difference? Well, if we try to correct somebody or if we try to be corrected and we're not really open for correction, we're the scoffer, if that's us, we get corrected and we're gonna take personal offense at it. But if we're living biblically and we're thinking biblically, we might get corrected and it may not feel good, but we're going to say, you know, I didn't have that angle. I couldn't see it that way. I'm really thankful for your words in my life. They're hard. It doesn't feel good, but thank you. Thank you. We need friends like that. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. We, we all, at times, are the fool who is right in his own eyes, right? We just think, we think how we think and how we view things is correct. We are right. And there's no, no really no other way to look at it. Now, we would never say those words. We'd never actually even think the sentence, I am, I am always right, right? And, and, and the way that I'm looking at it is the right way and I'm not open for anybody else's input or opinion, most people would never say that, but it's a very present reality in our lives oftentimes. This is hard for us. It's hard to be teachable, and one of the quickest ways to being a false friend or a bad friend is by being unteachable, not valuing the wise friends that God has given us as a gift, not valuing their input, not valuing their wisdom, not being teachable, doing what we want to do, and not listening to anybody else. So are you the person in friendships who's not looking for any challenges? Are you the person who's not looking for any reproof, any rebuke, any exhortation? It's like, I'm cool with friends as long as, you know, as long as basically they never do any of that stuff. Or I never really get close enough for anybody to be able to actually speak into my life. I kind of just keep my distance. And maybe if there's some, some, you know, some real safe, vague areas that I need some correction, I'm cool with that. But nothing, nothing deep. Nothing deep. I'm not looking for that. Are you that person? When it comes to reproof or rebuke, when you do receive it, do you recoil, argue, justify yourself, become offended and even angry? When we get corrected or challenged or disagreed with, it's very rare to not, now listen here, it's very rare for any of us to not instantly feel an overwhelming need to explain ourselves, isn't it? We have, you know, maybe think about this, I don't, I just as, I love you a ton as a brother to brother, just maybe it's better to go this way, maybe you shouldn't do that, or maybe it's stronger, hey man, like, what you did here is not cool. <laughs> it's not good. Like, I, I just want to be straight with you. I wanna, I wanna, I, I'm not trying to be mean, but this is not okay. 
instantly, we, we sense an overwhelming need to explain ourselves and explain our situation. Well, hey, let me explain. This is what I was doing. This is what I was thinking. Here are the mitigating circumstances. This is what was going on. You didn't understand this part. There's just a lot that all of a sudden the accuser doesn't understand. That's there in all of our hearts. We have an invincible capacity for self-delusion. It's pretty amazing. All of us have that in our hearts, an invincible capacity for self-delusion. We have to work for the opposite. So, friends, go think with me and go here with me. This is one of the reasons this is difficult is because most of us view ourselves as very teachable. I can't recall many times, you know, sometimes you get, like, there are certain things in our life that are, that are easier for us to identify or admit, you know? It's like, yeah, I, I lied there. You know, I had a problem with lying or I had a lust problem and it's measurable or whatever. I very rarely, for me, have had anybody come to me and say, you know, I have to confess I'm really greedy. Almost never. Pro- I think never, actually. Or this one, I'm really unteachable. Never. And yet, in almost every chapter of Proverbs, there's, there's clear and straight warning about this. If the Bible repeats something in every chapter of a long book, then we ought to realize to ourselves, that's a big problem for man. But if we're never thinking, if we, if we never think that that's actually a problem for us, the Bible's not, right? The Bible's not messed up. We are. So this is a major problem for a lot of people. The problem is we never think it is true about ourselves. We never think we're unteachable. We think we're very teachable, but oftentimes we're only teachable in things that we already agree with or things that would already fit into our paradigm or our universe. Then we're very teachable, but when it comes to something that rubs, we are not very teachable. We have to work against this. We have to work towards teachability. It does not come naturally. God puts friends into our life as a gift of grace to help us to encourage us, to exhort us, to rebuke us, to to point us in different directions. Friends have angles that we don't. And we must be teachable. We must work at teachability. All of us in humility must work at teachability. The, The false friend is unteachable. The false friend is also unfaithful. Proverbs 25, 19. Like a broken tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in a time of trouble. Life has lots of challenges, right? As we go through life, we experience all kinds of challenges. Experience emotional challenges. We just feel real, we're getting torn up inside. We experience personal challenges. We experience spiritual challenges and spiritual warfare. We experience difficulties at work and our vocation at home, right? Relational conflict. There's all kinds of issues in life. Again, we live in a fallen world. The sin in the world that is a result of the fall it was, is not isolated to particular areas. It's spread out to everything. And so sin affects every aspect of life. As a result, there's, there, there's constant challenges and difficulty. We need friends to make it through these seasons of life to counsel us. We need counsel from them time. We need care. We need friends to hold us up. We need to hold others up. We need others to walk through life with us through difficult and dark seasons. 
It's just essential. But Proverbs says that sometimes there are some friends that when you need them the most, you're in the darkest and most difficult season, and you need friends the most, that there's some friends who just aren't there. They're just not available. They're just not present. They're not willing. Proverbs says that those friends are like a broken tooth or a lame foot. And if you're eating applesauce and things are good, it's fine, right? It's no big deal. You're not going to notice your broken tooth. But when you chomp down on something hard, your, your tooth is going to crack more and it's going to be super painful. If you have a problem with your ankle, it's a little bit swollen, you, you're walking around, you know, no heavy lifting, all casual, no big deal. But the second you have to take a hard sprint somewhere where you have to pick something up and carry it up the stairs, your ankle gives out when you need it the most, when it's the most urgent. That's what an unreliable friend is like. When you need them the most, they're not there. They're out. Proverbs 20, verse 6, a man, many a man proclaims his steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. It's one thing to say, it's another thing to do. It's one thing to say, I am faithful to you, I love you, I care for you, I am here for you. How many of us have said, very haphazardly, whatever you need, just call me? Think about that. Whatever you need, I'm here. Like, we shouldn't say that. Just flies off the tip of our tongue. It's like the first thing we say. We should actually think about, think about it first. Is that true? Am I actually willing to help you with whatever you need? It's easy to say, I'm faithful. It's another thing to be faithful in dark and difficult seasons with others. To bear one another's burdens is hard. It's hard. It's one thing to say. It's another thing to do. I was talking to someone recently, um, a couple months ago, and they said, you know, I, I covered someone's shift for the weekend at work, and they, you know, they had issues in their family. Their mom was sick or something, and... Um, you know, I, didn't, I worked all week, but they, they asked if, if I could help out. They needed to be home, and I said, you know, totally. You know, I got it. I got it. It's a sacrifice, right? But I'll help you out. No problem. Be home with your family. A couple weeks later, I, I needed, you know, to return the favor. And I, need, I had something I really had to do on Wednesday, and I needed them to cover my shift on Wednesday. And I said, hey, you think you'd be able to cover my shift? They said, ah, oh, you know, <laughs> My dog's been home for a few days and I haven't really given it much attention. I just know he's really lonely. I gotta be home for my dog. And it's like, <laughs> dog? You know, I covered your shift a couple months ago. I wasn't expecting to receive anything in return, but I, I need some help now too. It's like, ah, sorry, I gotta be home with my lonely dog. Some friends are just unfaithful. When you need them, they're not there. Number three, unforgiving. False friends are unteachable. False friends are unfaithful. False friends can be unforgiving. Proverbs 10, verse 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Hatred stirs up strife. Again, we keep going back to Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is a very important chapter in Scripture. It tells us the condition of our own hearts and of the world. In Genesis 3, we see the world is fallen, Sin has entered the world. Conflict has entered the world. Friendship has been distorted. And even in the best of friendships, we hurt each other. We do things. We say things. We give each other 
looks or attitudes that hurt. We can hurt each other. Let's be honest. The question is not, if you're in a real significant friendship, the question is not, are we ever going to have conflict? Are we ever going to hurt each other? That's, that's a fact of life. That's going to happen. The question is, when it does, how do we respond to each other? Are you quick to forgive? Or are you quick to stir, to store up bitterness? Are you quick to forgive or are you quick to stoke the coals of hatred, which leads to strife? Are you quick to restore and reconcile? Or are you quick to store up wrath? Never going to really deal with it. I'm just going to say everything's fine, but really I'm just storing up wrath and bitterness and hatred. I don't want to forgive. I get some satisfaction out of being angry, and I want to make them pay. Do you respond graciously, or do you think to yourself, no, I want to get even? Do you do as best you can to forget the offense, to cover it with love, or do you let the offense shape and color everything you now think about the other person? Do you understand that how easy it is for us to do that? It's like a first impression, kind of. You know, first impressions, they can, like, if we meet somebody and they do something really awkward, or maybe you've been in there, you're like, you, you did something awkward, and you're like, I feel like such a goof, a goof. You know, I did something really awkward. I just met this cute girl or this cute guy or this, my boss at work. You know, I walked in first day, and I, and I tripped over something, and, you know, my briefcase went flying, and it's like, oh, my gosh, it's the worst possible, I can't believe that happened. And then you kind of feel like their view of you is shaded, you know, is colored a certain way. You're the awkward person. Okay, offenses can be like that. When we are hurt by somebody, you know, we care, we are very keen on like our own emotional state. It's, the, it's like one of the most important things in the whole entire world to us, how we're doing. And when how we're doing gets damaged a little bit by somebody else, you know, if we were watching it, maybe it wouldn't be that big of a deal, but if it happens to us, it's like way worse. And that offense can then, if we don't forgive, can, can shade and color how we now view the other person. Their whole person gets conflated into their offense toward us. It's really nonsensical and irrational, but again, it's, this is the direction our heart leans towards. This is the kind of thing that happens to us. Forgiveness, like teachability, like faithfulness, forgiveness is something we have to work at. We actually have to consciously make an effort. It doesn't come natural. False friends give in to what they feel. They don't forgive. It's, it's quite easy to be unforgiving. You might say, look, I can't just forgive. I feel angry. I feel hurt. I feel wrong. They can't just turn that off. I can't just switch. Proverbs 10, 12. Just want to point us back to Scripture. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Look, when we look at love, love is not primarily an emotion. It's not a state of how you feel. It's, love isn't sentimental words. Love, again, as we, we, we talk about this a lot, it's super important we get the definition of love down. Love is seeking the good of a friend. It's being committed to seeking the good of somebody without selfish motives. So it doesn't have anything to do with how we feel. Love can manifest in emotions, but not feeling a certain way does not mean we can't love. 
We're not saying fake it. Nobody's telling you to fake it. You don't have to fake it. But here's what the Bible says. Pursue in love in spite of how you feel. That's love. And as we do that, God does change our heart. He does change our heart. As we pursue others in love and forgiveness, even if we don't feel like it, God works on us as we are working out. We can't just sit around and wait for God to just magically change our heart like God's some sort of fairy who just comes and sprinkles dust on us and boom, we just feel different. That's, that's never how it works. And we have to pursue. We have to pursue. And then God changes as we pursue. There does come a time, I mean, there's a lot we could look at, but here, these are three big ones for us to think about in our relationships with others. Am I unteachable? Am I unfaithful? Am I unforgiving? What areas in my life are, are, are those things a reality? God, reveal those things to me so I can change and repent. But I also want us to consider this as we consider the, the friends in our life. There, there does come a time... There does come a time, there can come a time, where we need to ditch bad friends. We need to ditch bad friends. Proverbs 14, 7. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. Now look, I want to be careful here, because what I don't want us to hear is, you know, if we're offended, or if we feel like we've been rubbed the wrong way, or if somebody's disagreed with us, or if somebody doesn't think we're the best in the world, if somebody doesn't just tell us how amazing we are all the time, or you know, if we're, we just feel wronged by somebody, that we, can, we have permission to bail. That's, not, that's the opposite of what we're saying. In fact, we need to be faithful and loving. We're always going to have conflict in relationships. So that's not what we're talking about. I want to be clear on that. But there are some relationships that are very unhelpful and sometimes harmful. Proverbs 22, 24 through 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. That's a relationship, a friendship, that's unhelpful and can be harmful. And when we yoke ourselves together with somebody who is wrathful and angry, angry and hot-tempered and, and quick to lash out, that actually that sets up a snare for us in our hearts. And we'll start entering into that. We'll be influenced toward that. And there's no change. There's no repentance. There's no teachability. It's like, man, like I need to back away from this. It can be unhealthy and unhelpful. Some relationships, some friends, well, listen, friends will shape your character, period. That's a fact. It just depends on if they shape it for better or for worse. Some friends will weaken your good resolves. Some will reverse your sanctification, influence you that way at least. Some people are divisive and, and unhealthy, and they're not willing to change. Again, there's challenges in all friendships, but sometimes you need to know when to step away. Proverbs 12, 26, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. It's, it's super important to choose friends carefully, particularly those who we become the closest to, who we give access to our life. That's the false friend. Some things for us to consider, search our hearts on, ask the Spirit of God to search our hearts on. Let's look now at the true friend. The true friend. What does Proverbs say about the true friend? Number one, the true friend is, 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 is faithful and trustworthy. 
Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. It's, it's, it's easy to be faithful in good times. It's easier to be faithful when we're on our best behavior, when we're getting along. But as time goes on and as the friendship matures and challenging times come, they will come. Ugly stuff will come, right? The sin that's in our flesh will, will be made manifest in our life. Ugly stuff will happen in our lives and it will happen in us. When we get pet the wrong way and we let each other down, that will happen in friendships. And Proverbs said that the true friend doesn't throw in the towel. The true friend doesn't walk away. But the true friend actually perseveres through those challenges in love. A friend loves at all times, at all times, not just when it's good, not just when you're pleasant, but even when things are bad and difficult and even when you're unpleasant and mean and grumpy and nasty. You know, there are times we get like that, right? Some, some of you are, are not night people. And if it gets late and you get tired, the dragon comes out and starts breathing fire. It's like, we need to go to bed. It's like, whoa, hold your horse. You're, you know, you're Dr. Jekyll now, or you're Mr. Hyde, or whatever the one, like you've transformed, let's talk again in the morning. Some of you are not morning people. You love the nighttime, you get up in the morning, and it's like, you just look like a train wreck, you need to take a shower, brush your teeth, get some coffee, take a couple hours to just get the stuff out, like, do your thing, unwind, you know, run around, Whatever. And then you're, and then, again, play, but sometimes, like, there are times of our day, of our week, of our month, of our year, the season we're in, whether it's a natural, cyclical thing like that, or whether something happens to us where we just have a bad attitude, we're bad to be around. True friends persevere through that. True friends love at all times. True friends are born for adversity, it's like, I'm here with you. I'm going to get through this with you. We're going to get through this together. When I say I'm going to be faithful to you, I actually mean it, and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to walk that out with you. We're going to walk through this season together. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to support you. It's not just like, now see you in six months. Let me, send me a letter. Let me know how it's going. Nah, not that. I'm here with you. True friends are, are faithful, even in the worst. Charles Spurgeon um, says this about this particular aspect of friendship. He says, friendship is one of the sweetest joys in life. Many might have failed beneath the bitterness of their trial had they not found a friend. That's so true. We need friends to help us get through difficult seasons, and faithful friends do and will. Now, look, I also want to say this. We have a lot going on in life. We're busy people. We have a busy society and a busy culture. And I, and I want like, to be clear on this. Faithfulness to another person doesn't mean that we're their personal chaplain or spiritual nurse. You know, it's like, ding, I'm here. You know, I materialized. What do you need? How can I serve you? Can I get you some water? Can I, okay, it's, we're, not, we're not talking about faithfulness is not equivalent to being a spiritual nurse. But... We also need to understand that though we're busy and we have a lot going on, may we not be so busy that we forsake being faithful to friends. 
busyness is not always fruitfulness, and sometimes we can be busy with things that, man, are taking the place and overshadowing and eclipsing more important things. One of the things we ought to be busy with is being faithful to friends. Friends are a gift from God. We also mustn't think, well, if they need something, they'll call. We must be faithful to pursue, to pursue friendship and to pursue friends and to pursue caring and loving. Number two, true friends, the true friend speaks into your life. Proverbs 27, five through six. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Just as we need to give others access into our life and just as we need to receive hard words from others, sometimes we also need to give them. In your relationships with others, think with me, in your relationships with others, are you willing to speak appropriate truth and say hard things when it's needed? Are you willing to do that? Or is it your tendency to take the road of least resistance and to avoid any sort of conflict? All of us, for all of us, we can all think of a time, I would imagine, where we should have spoken into somebody's lives, into somebody's life, rather. We should have spoken into somebody's life. There was something bad going on, not good going on, but we didn't speak into their life for some reason. Can you think of a time where it's like, I should, I needed to speak into that person's life, and I didn't? Maybe it was because of fear. I'm scared of how they'll react, how they'll respond, what they'll think. Maybe we justified ourselves. It'll be too hard. I don't have time. I don't want to go. For whatever the reason, there have been times I'd imagine for all of us where we should have spoken and we didn't. We didn't. Look, I want to say this about this topic. We don't want to act like the Holy Spirit, like it's our job to reveal and convict all of our friends every chance we get of every sin and imperfection and area of foolishness in their life, okay? That's not our job. But we also can't pretend that speaking hard truth is only God's job, and so we don't have to deal with it. We can't pretend that, because it's, it's, it's just not biblical. I have literally heard, I have heard church leaders, I've heard pastors say some variation of the following. You know, we really shouldn't, and solid, solid people too. I mean, it's not, you know, but this is a common way to think. We really shouldn't talk about sin. We really shouldn't, like, confront people on sin. We really don't need to go there with people. You know why? Because they already know. They already know. You know, they're already convicted. They know it's wrong. And that's the Holy Spirit's job. It's not our job to convict. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That is so unbiblical. It should make us cringe. It's so incredibly unbiblical. But that's how we think. We don't want to deal, like, we don't want to deal with difficult stuff in each other's lives. A lot of it's fear of man. I don't want to be, like, I don't want them to think less of me. I don't want them to get mad and leave. You know, the scoffer, if you tell him this and he'll hate you, I don't want to be hated. I don't want to be hated. But I just tell you, it's unloving. At times, it's unloving to not speak appropriate truth and hard words into people's lives. It's unloving and it's unfaithful. The true friend speaks when it's needed. 
Proverbs 27, 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Sometimes words are challenging that we need to give. Sometimes the words are encouraging that we need to give. Either way, the words from a friend of earnest counsel are a sweet gift. They're a sweet gift of grace to receive, to cherish, to treasure, to take to heart from earnest, loving counsel. Number three, the true friend shapes your character for good. The true friend shapes your character for good. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You will be shaped, you will be influenced by those who you do life with. And Proverbs says that if, you, if, if that's with wise people, godly people, you'll become wise and godly. If it's with fools you'll become foolish. There's no way around this. We will be influenced, will be influenced by those we spend time with. If we want to be wise, we spend time with wise people. Now, again, we, we, by wise, we don't mean smartest, most educated, most accomplished. By wise, we mean those who are seeking to grow toward God in grace, those who are cultivating the fruit of the Spirit, those who are builders and not terrors, those who are invested in God and his kingdom for God's glory and the good of people and not just critics. Now, we need those friends to shape us. We must be shaped by friends like that. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. True friendship sharpens. True friendship sharpens. True friendship sharpens and prepares us for life, for fruit in life, to be effective in life. But listen, sharpening iron, the thing about sharpening iron, when you read verses like this, iron sharpens iron, rah, rah, you know, all good. That's like a typical, you know, men's retreat verse. And it's good, but here's, but here, but here's what we need to understand. The thing about iron sharpening iron is that it creates sparks, and it can really hurt sometimes. Being shaped, our character being shaped for good is, is challenging. And it can be painful. There's a difference between hurt and harm. True friends, don't, we don't harm each other. We might hurt each other sometimes in a good way. If you think about it this way, if you have, if you, if you grew up, or maybe you still currently do, on a sports team, all right, you think about that. And, you, and a particularly, I'm not talking about you know, sorry if you're a golfer, but I don't mean like something like golf. I mean something like that's real physically involved and challenging and difficult. Nothing against golf. It's totally awesome. But, but I wrestled for years, and, and it's, it's, it's hard, right? There are times where you're just, I mean, for me personally, and maybe you've experienced this, just mentally, emotionally, physically, you're just exhausted, just beat down, bloodied, bruised up. It's like, ugh, tired, hungry, thirsty, the whole gamut. And good teammates, in those times, what do good teammates do? Good teammates come alongside you and push you and encourage you and challenge you. Good teammates don't let you give up. Good teammates don't let you throw in the towel. And that might make you angry at the time. Get away from me. I'm just done. It's like, no, I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to let you. We're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep pushing. You're going to keep running. We're going to keep, we need to get ready. Right? We're preparing. 
We're building our team. We're building our character. We, we, good friends push each other and challenge each other. That's like sharpening. That's like sharpening. It can hurt at the time. In the long run, it's worth it. It's worth it. And friends, really, if we think about that picture, that's what God intends for his church. That's what God intends for us as Union Church. At Union Church, God has gathered together friends. He's gathered together teammates. I want you to think about Christianity that way. In our, in our culture, we have a really weak really weak, watered-down, light view of Christianity, of God, of the gospel, of the church. Just by and large, it's just weak. God hasn't called us to be individual Christians who just kind of, you know, I love G- I'm in a personal relationship with Jesus, so nothing else matters. You know, go to church sometimes, but that's about it. It's just me and Jesus, just personal, private, that's it. Doesn't matter where I go to church, as long you know the whole the whole world is the church. The, you know, it's the whole body. Every church, it's all the same. Not it's not really true. It's nowhere in the Bible. Yes, all Christians together for sure are united in Christ. But the way that always works out is by local churches gathering together as teammates, not as individuals, as teammates. Christianity is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. It's not a spectator sport. It's a team sport. It's a team sport. And God has gathered together in our church men and women as a team, as in a brotherhood, a sisterhood, as brothers and sisters together to be on mission with the gospel in our city and beyond. That's what God has called us to. If we have a view of Christian, now look, if you have a lot to learn about that, that's that's good. That's one thing. But if we have a view of, of the church and Christianity that's less than that, we have a wrong view of it. God has called us to be missionaries in our city and missionaries beyond our city. And look, we, can, we have to be together to do that. We have to sharpen each other to do that. We have to push each other to do that and encourage each other and exhort one another. If you look in the New Testament at all those one another's, Love one another, guard one another, be hospitable to one another, encourage one another, all of those. That's all part of what I'm talking about. Good friends, true friends, will push and shape each other, our character, for good as we work out our calling from God. True friends shape character for good. Some people would never say this, but they, they behave in a way and they think like, functionally, they display with their lives, like, I'm good on my own. Some people organize life in such a way where, like, it's like, oh, I'd love friends. That'd be nice. But, you know, basically, the way I've organized my life is I don't have any time for friends. My work is too important. I got all this other stuff going on. I just don't have time. Yeah, I'd like it, but really, I don't invest any priority, any time, any value, any energy. It's not really there. I can say it as much as I want, but it's just not there, friends, I, like, I would implore you, if that's you, think differently about friendship. Prioritize it differently. We must, as we look at the Bible, to be faithful and obedient to Scripture, we walk away from Scripture realizing, man, I must treasure friendship. 
and value it. I must invest in it. I must pursue it in the right ways. That's how I ought to obey what Scripture says on friendship, not just say I'm too busy, I don't have time. Ultimately, our true friends will point us to the truest friend. Ultimately, our, our true friends, even if we're the truest friends, we're faithful, trustworthy, reliable, generous, we speak encouraging and hard words, we're going to fail each other still. We're gonna, we are, as we've said already, we're going to hurt each other. We're going to let each other down. We're going to disappoint each other. The true friends point to the truest friend. They point to the truest friend, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the truest friend. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is the truest and greatest friend. Jesus is the most faithful and trustworthy friend. Proverbs 10, 12. Love covers all offenses. Love covers all offenses, okay? In Christ, God's love has covered all our offenses. We can forgive each other, we must. We can cover offenses with love, we must. Jesus is the only one who can truly and eternally cover all of our offenses, wash them clean, and he does. Jesus lives the life that we should never live. He was the perfect friend. He was faithful. John 13, 1 says that Jesus was about to go to the cross and having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the max. He loved them to the, to the, to the max of his capacity. Jesus was a faithful friend his whole life. And then he goes to the cross in the ultimate act of friendship and love. And he dies. He dies. He dies for his friends. He also dies for his enemies to make them friends. You and I began life as enemies of God. Jesus died to make us friends of God. His love. In Christ, God's love covers all our offenses. Love covers all offenses. God's love, church, covers all offenses. Jesus is the most faithful friend. He is the most trustworthy friend. He always speaks the right words to us. Sometimes they're encouraging, sometimes they're challenging. You say, if Jesus isn't speaking to me, then you're not reading your Bible. If Jesus isn't speaking to you, that means you're not reading your Bible. Because when we open up our Bibles, we're reading God's word. We're reading from God, his actual word. He speaks to us in scripture. So yes, Jesus does speak. He does speak. He's the friend that speaks the right timed word, the right Locate in the right location for our hearts every single time. He's faithful. He speaks the right words all the time. And yes, Jesus shapes our character for good. Are you spending time with Jesus? Because we shape each other's character. In, the idea is in, into conformity with Christ. But what we all need to do is be spending time with the truest friend who shapes our character himself. Jesus shapes our character for good. He shapes our character for glory. He shapes our character for joy. And friend, if you don't know the truest friend, we would just invite you to get to know him. He's faithful. He's just. He's the friend that will never leave or forsake. As we respond in worship and in communion, 
we'd invite you after service to come forward and we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray over you. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to help you get to know the truest, best, and most, most faithful friend who has ever been. Jesus, we do thank you. We, 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 are, we, we honor, glorify, acknowledge Jesus and thank you and worship you for your friendship. You have been the greatest friend. You are the truest friend. You, you are the friend that made your enemies your friends. We look to you, Jesus, for faithfulness, for the right words, and for shaping our character. And we ask, Lord, that you'd help us now in light of who you are, in light of what you've done, to help us be friends like you. Amen. Amen.